Welcome to another episode of the Following Films Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Maynard, and today I'm joined by director Joshua Caldwell to discuss his latest film, Mending the Line. In the film, a wounded veteran returns to the state still carrying the demons of war, hauntingly disturbed by everyday expectations of friendship and love interests. While in Livingston, Montana, he meets Ike, a surly, headstrong fly fisherman more than twice his age, and Lucy, a talented photographer turned librarian who reads aloud to veterans, both damaged in their own way. While getting treatment for his wounds, both physical and psychological, we follow a man who only wants to re-enlist, to have something to die for. But the real challenge is finding something to live for. But before we dive into our conversation with Josh, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Bookman's. Bookman's is your go-to independent bookstore, where you can find an extensive selection of books, movies, music, and more. They truly believe in the power of storytelling and the magic of the cinematic arts. So if you're looking to expand your film collection, be sure to visit your nearest Bookman's. Have you followed the following films podcast on Spotify? If you have, thank you. And if you haven't, head on over to Spotify. Search for Following Films and give us a follow. It really does help the show. Now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Joshua about Mending the Line. The film is currently in theaters. Hope you enjoy the show. Then uh, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today, Joshua. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. You can call uh, me. You can call me Josh. Go by Josh. Okay, that, that, that's, yeah, that's yeah. my son. He goes by Josh also. So you never yeah. know I, if it's any something... kind of like crediting or like you know if it's if you're introing me, Joshua's preferred. But uh, Josh in conversation is fine. Perfect. Got it. Easy enough. Um, well, thank you for taking time to do this because this is a, a really interesting bookend right now. Considering most of us are finishing up uh, Succession. And then to yep. see Brian Cox in this um, just truly does show the range of one actor in seeing one film, one you know piece of television that is essentially the uh, worst people you could imagine doing really horrible things to each other. And then really quiet, understated, kind people being kind to each other. So they could not be more different projects. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I'm not sure what it says that one is going to be infinitely more popular than the other, but uh you know, that'll be up to other people to decide, I guess. <laughs> well, there's a uh, there's a, a definitely a place for films like this that we need these kind of palate cleansers every once in a while, because it's very easy to get lost in the day to day of our lives and the differences that we have with others. Instead of finding the things that we have in common um, with our neighbors, with the people that we you know see on the subway, whatever that happens to be. And I think this is a film that's essentially about commonality. It's about finding common ground. It's about finding for me, what was it's the way that I throw myself into creativity is my sort of external way that I avoid therapy bills, um, by right, having, right. And, and that's what this is. It's finding something that's greater than yourself that you can throw yourself into. And I think that it's a, there's, we needed a film like this right now. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think um, even from a perspective of, you know, what we all kind of collectively just came out of, you know, over the yeah. last three years, um, you know, a very uh, stressful, ang anxious ridden, you know, traumatic experience for a lot of people. Um, and I think that's where this movie can lean, right? Like, I think that while very few of us, in fact, very few active duty military will ever experience combat, we've all experienced loss 
and we've all experienced trauma to some degree. So as much as our movie focuses on uh, a Marine and focuses on the veteran experience, I really believe it to be a much more universal experience of how to heal, you know, and how to heal from, from trauma, whether that's small trauma, large trauma, trauma with a capital T, you know, I think that um, that's really why, I think the film can reach a, a much larger audience than one might initially think based on the premise. Well, and I agree with you completely. And I think that that's a general rule of thumb anyway. Um, when you make something that's hyper-specific about an individual and their experience, it actually ends up being about a wider truth. Oftentimes that when you try to make something that is about that wider truth that speaks to everybody, I think you lose something in that, that it's, there's something that resonates as honest and you're able to project yourself into that situation when it's very specific about an individual, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. I mean, you should be a studio exec because uh, <laughs> I, I wish there were more people like that, right. Than others who, who say, Oh, well, it's a movie about veterans and fly fishing. Who's going to be interested in that? You know? And I think, um, you know, to some degree, that's kind of the problem, right? Like so many films today are made, if they're made like this, they're made, they flatten themselves so much and flatten their ideas so much to reach such a wide people that they're no longer speaking to anybody, you know? And um, yeah, no, I think that, um, you know, I, I certainly wanted to make a movie that was a much more positive thinking, positive, you know, positive message, uh, you know, just feel good film. Um, I, you know, my last movie was incredibly divisive. A lot of people hated it, um, you know, but it was intentionally sort of an angry, brash, you know, uh, loud in your face type of experience. And, you know, I was interested in sort of going the other way. I was interested in making something that was a lot more, um, a lot quieter, a lot more, uh, you know, uh, sort of rooted in drama, but also something that was like so positive. I mean, I look at movies, you know, not even to put this movie or even myself in the same category, but when you look at movies like that have stuck around for so long, something like, you know, Shawshank Redemption, right? Like, why do people coming back to that? Keep coming back to that movie because it's about hope. You know, I think that so much of the world today is so cynical about everything and it's become so sort of like um, such a a shield for a lot of people that like, you know, that's what they're looking for. And I think that like, you know, um, I can sort of tell in people's reaction to this movie, whether they're a cynical person or not, you know? And, and I think that like you're missing out on, I think that most people do want, to watch something, something that's positive and uplifting and hopeful. I could not agree with you more, but there's, there's also a, the cynicism to me that destroys a movie is cynicism behind the camera. Um, I don't know how to pinpoint mm-hmm. it. I do not know how to finger like to say that's a exact example of it. I, there's movies that feel cynical. Sometimes it can be a movie that's positive, but it feels like it was made in a way that was through studio notes that was through a quick cash grab, whatever that happens to be. And you can have a film that is in its presentation, completely cynical, but it was made with heart um, that it was the, everybody who showed up to make that film and it there's, and they work. And I think that kind of cynicism behind the scenes is what kills a film, but in front of, you can have a film that's deeply cynical in its messaging that's hopeless, but if you make it with heart, it'll resonate with people. So you can have something right. like uh, Dr. Strangelove that, you know, that is a right, deeply right. cynical film, but it still works. And something like Shawshank Redemption, which is very hopeful is made with absolute heart. And so I think that, yeah. that those are the differences in that, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And so then 
let's talk a little bit about the the casting of this film because really it's I, you have the three characters at the center of this and i think that if you do not get all of that casting right the film just doesn't work that it's something that yeah. it's so important to this because it's not reliant on special effects it's not reliant on i mean you have some really beautiful cinematography some great scenes that are here but i think that this is really something that if this is a performance driven piece if you don't have that right there's no way this thing can stand up on its own yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree. Um, you know, the casting was great. I don't know how familiar you are, familiar you are with the t- traditional casting process as it regards to independent a little films, bit, yeah. but it's, um, it's a process that's often built on how valuable somebody is in, you know, Europe and yeah. Asia, things like that. And there's a very limited number of people. And that's how often, that's how a lot of independent films are getting made these days, you know? And, um, you know, if you're, if you don't have a, a star quote unquote, like some A-lister who's willing to participate, you're often left to try and build it through this value. And I think that that's a really, unf- you know, it works for some movies, but it, it's just not applicable to others. And we were kind of in a position, ironically with this film where, because, Despite the fact that I disagree with the premise that it's an inherently American film, on paper it reads like an inherently American film. And uh, it could have been made that way, though. I don't think it, this is. Yeah, made that, it could have been delivered that no, way. No, I don't doesn't. exactly because I didn't make it that way, yeah. right? Like I didn't intend to. But I think when you're in that early process and it's on paper and they're reading about U.S. soldiers and fly yeah. fishing, people go, "Oh, that's not going to play in China, or that's not going to play wherever." Um, so as a result, though, the main financier of the film. Uh, Mark Camora was a big believer in this story. He was not somebody that obviously he would like to get his money back, but that's not his focus. His focus was on supporting this film and bringing this story to the screen along with our other group of investors. That was really what they, everybody believed in the story. And so as a result, we were able to approach the casting from who's going to do the best job, who's going to work best creatively, who's going to be the most interesting rather than, Who's going to work in Germany, right? So, and and um, and that eventually led us. We had a fantastic casting director that eventually led us to Brian Cox, um, to Sinqua Walls, to Perry Matfeld, to Wes Studi, to Patricia Heaton, and suddenly this little independent film had this like really fantastic, you know, sort of ensemble um, led by you know Brian, who is so hot off of uh off of succession yeah. right and is finally getting his due as a guy that's been a character actor for so long I, and he, by he's film history uh, to me he's one of those yeah. I, I yeah sorry but yeah he's he's getting his no due no absolutely he's been there for i can't remember a time when i wasn't always been a rat guy yeah 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 he's always been there and and but that's what's so great about him right because he's now a guy who still has sort of a character actor's perspective but he's now kind of more of a leading man right yeah. And so you've got you've got him and then you've got Sinqua, who we sort of were able to get a hold of and and have be a part of this film kind of right as his star power is rising. You know, obviously he had done a lot of TV. Um, he had been around, but he like even with like Nanny, he had just shot Nanny before he came on into our movie. So like we didn't really even know, you know, he didn't know what that was going to turn into and and then obviously as a result like you know white man can't jump and now the blackening and including yep. a bunch of other things that he's got coming on so you know we just got really great and i think that's what i love most about this movie was you know the casting process was was creative first 
you know, and as a result, just had some really fantastic talent, you know, in front of the camera. Um, that's just a dream for a young director like myself to work with. Well, and I feel like I'm the last person to figure out Sinqua and the talent that's there because yeah. it was this film that made me look him up and say, okay, oh, I see everything that's coming up right now. And I, White Man Can't Jump, but I think it's on Hulu right now or uh, something right, like it's that. Out. But yeah. Yeah. Blackening is like, if it's not out, it's just about to come out right it now. It comes like, out a week after ours. Yeah. It's really <laughs> yeah. crazy. So it's like, this is a, apparent. He's one of those people that just has that momentum behind it. And you see a film like this and yeah, this is the real deal. This is a, yeah. he's a, he's a movie star. There's no yeah. question about and, it. And, and what I love so much about Sinqua and sort of what he brought to it, right? Like he, you know, obviously you can look at like White Man Can't Jump, which is, I don't want to call it a comedy, but it leans into that space, right? As did the original. Um, you know, Nanny, he was kind of, you know, he's not the star, but he's he's this easygoing sort of anchor for the main character in that movie, right? But like, um, and even the blackening, right? Like he's kind of this, this more of a comedy, you know, again, an ensemble yeah, but I think that what so impressed me about what he brought to this film was just the level of complexity and nuance and depth to his performance that I certainly saw on set um, as we were performing, and then the, once I got it into the editing room and, and started sort of putting this movie together, and you know, this is not an easy role to play, right? He's got to carry on the surface. He's carrying this certain level of stoicism and the yep. certain level of like, you know, suck it up. I'm a Marine. And yet he kind of keeps bidding, getting pushed and pushed and pushed until you get further and down and you start digging through those layers and you find an incredible vulnerability, right? That has to be portrayed by somebody who, you know, by a character who is by all accounts, sort of this, you know, um, masculine, you know, hold it in type of guy, you know, type of guy who then has to really wear his emotions on his sleeve. And I think like, that's just not, it's, and, and even just trying to portray PTSD as it's affecting you, I think is not an easy, easy task because while there's physical symptoms, you know, there's sort of physical manifestations in some way, it's largely, in the mind. Right. And, and not to say you're making it up, but it's, it's a largely affecting you mentally. Um, and that's a hard thing to play on camera. And so yeah. I just, have, you know, I mean, I've been so, I, I'm just incredibly impressed with what he gave to this movie as an actor. And I'm so happy to see him and his star rising and, and him getting his, his, what I think is his due, you know, he's a great actor. He's going to go big, do big things. And, and I, you know, I hope, I hope he gets everything he wants out of it. I have no doubt in my mind that it, it people have figured it out. And so yeah. if you, anybody that can carry, and I'm glad you touched on this because this was my takeaway from it, which was how small and internal that he can go. He has this range and this with how big he has to go. And I think there's a lot of performers that would telegraph that in much bigger ways earlier on um, with unnecessary business. And he keeps things so close to his chest that I think it allows the audience to project themselves into him. In, at moments and you feel that internal strife that he's going through. And it's something that's so small and quiet at times that I, it could, I think be underappreciated until you see how big he can go and how emotional he can get and how he can have that full vulnerability and shows that full range in between. And there's truly an arc here that you rarely see 
in a film that yeah. it's this it's a lot of times arcs are they're glacial they're very small but this is a much larger arc that could have been played in a way that felt disingenuous because oftentimes yeah. if you go through these big swings they they just don't feel grounded in reality and and i yeah, think well, he pulls it's hard. Off. yeah no i agree and it's hard to always you always have to it's it's you have to uh, you know that can be a challenge within a two hour time limit, right <laughs> to sort true. of take somebody who is you know not okay and then all of a sudden they're okay right and so that that's like you have to be careful about how you do that because i think like you know people aren't connecting to that type of journey anymore so you have to be cognizant of how you're structuring this arc so that it feels believable. And I think one of the ways we did that was by, um, you know, the ending is not all wrapped up with a nice, pretty bow. You the know? work isn't done at the end. The work of is not done. No. And I think that is what I hope people take from it, which is like, this is an ongoing thing, right? People have sort of, all we're doing, what's interesting to me is that the end of the movie is really just the beginning of another movie. Yep. Right. And so, and so it's not the, that this is done, you know, and I, I believe I always find myself much more drawn to movies like that, not only making them, but also the movies I watch that what you feel like you've just seen is just a two hour window into a life, but you know that this life existed before you started watching the movie and it exists after the credits roll. Right. And I always think that's much more interesting because it's a little bit more true to life, but at the same time, this is a movie that required some sense of an arc, right? We, we didn't want him to stay the same. We just weren't going to push him and keep him as a similar, you know, from the beginning to the end was going to be the same guy. So um, yeah, you know, and then a lot of things was like Sinqua too. Like we talked a lot about, about, I mean, we certainly put him in touch with, you know, Marines, um, fly fishing, you know, guys who become were Marines and vets and now they're, they're fly fishermen and, and even active duty guys get a sense of like what that, and, and one of the big things that, you know, he and I, cause he's like a physical guy, right. Obviously he takes care of himself. He's like plays yeah. basketball. There's a physicality to him that um, we sort of talk talked about him using and it's a and it's it's maybe what you're keying into which is it's a very subtle way in which he holds himself in which he makes micro adjustments um in the moment when he's reacting to something there's a way in which his shoulders hunch or his shoulders move backwards there's like this you know this sort of moving almost like he's trying to you can't see me doing it but like almost like you know he's trying to get, he's being choked right yeah. um there's a tension that occurs at certain points, right? And and so we talked a lot about where and how those aspects of say PTSD or those memories might manifest themselves into the into the film. Today's episode of the following films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. I'm joined today by my son Jacob. Jacob, say hello to the people. Oh, there you go. You're already on it. So Jacob, when you go to Bookman's, what is it that you like to look at? What do you I like, like to get? To get toys uh, and movies and, and the coffee news. You like to look at the movies and you like to get the coffee news, the newspaper they have out front? That's yes. great. So last time we went into Bookman's, I picked up a movie. Um, what movie did I get, Jacob? A stick from New York, but that's the name as it hurts of the... Uh, ex. Uh, as the cover, sorry, sorry. I so, no, no, you're okay. Would you talk a little bit about what you see on the cover of Escape from New York on this Blu-ray that I got? So, based on this cover, you see glass shattered and also the Statue of Liberty's face fell apart because 
in this movie, Escape from New York, is the introduction is a man trying to save the president's daughter, and New York turns into a prison in this movie. And there's the hero, as you can see, very strong, in fact. Oh, yeah. Now, this is one of my favorite movies. I love this movie. Now, you're too young to watch it because you're only six years old, but... Do you think in a couple of years from now, when you get a little bit older, you'll want to check out Escape from New York? Yes! Okay. What's a movie that you've seen that we picked up at Bookman's that you like? Come here. Talk so that people can hear you. A Little Shop of Horrors? Little Shop of Horrors. That's a great movie. So when you're going to Bookman's, you can get movies, DVDs, Blu-rays, 4K, Laserdisc, VHS. You can also get comic books, books, newspapers, magazines, home furnishings. Um, you can get tons of stuff there. Because remember... Bookman's has your cool covered. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Yay, that was a good idea. No, and and I think that that's, it's that kind of thing that makes this something that's just really not, I, I don't know if demands is the right word for it, but it, I need to go back and rewatch this so that I can fully kind of grasp this performance and get my head around a little bit because it's such an incredible performance. But the, the I loved the ending of this because I think that while told for different, di- completely different feelings at the end of it, the idea that there's a life beyond the movie is something that I really appreciate. And it's why The Graduate is one of my favorite films. It's because that extra beat at the end, when you realize right. that the shit didn't go as well as they thought it did, that it's like, yeah, oh yeah. no, there's a reality. We all ran out of the church and most movies end at that moment where it's the happy ending. You get that one little extra two second beat at the end where they're just sitting there quiet and you realize, oh, they just really screwed up. And there's something that's really yeah. beautiful about that ending. <laughs> and there's a much different movie that if you just cut I, out that one little bit. And I love that. Oh yeah. Have you ever seen, I, I'm going to pitch somebody else's movie. Here, sure. But have you ever seen the short film called after the credits? No, I haven't. No, L- look it up. It's a okay. fantastic, it's a short film. I saw it more than a decade ago by, it was made by some guy in Australia. And it's, it's like a little bit of the graduate, right? Like this guy, comes running, you know, he's running through the airport. He gets to the, like, you know, the, the door, the gate, and he's calling out like Monica, Monica, like I'm, I I'm here. And Monica comes out and like, he's like, I left Julie at the altar. I want to be with you. And she's like, I'm just getting ready to leave, you know? And then basically she's like, okay. And they kiss and everybody on the plane is clapping and like the camera circles around and they cut to the credits. Right. Yeah. And this is like a minute into the film. And then basically the credits start rolling and then they go faster, 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 faster. And then, and um, and then all of a sudden the camera comes back and it's spinning around it, but the lighting's different. It's like much more realistic. And the camera lands on the steward stewardess, and she's like, <clears throat> and they stop kissing and they turn. She's like, "Are you getting on this plane or not?" And the girl's like, "No," because I mean, I just kind of did this whole thing where I got off. And then the stewardess like rolls her eyes and she's like, "Well, we're gonna be." She's like, "Do you need your bags back?" She's like, "Yeah." And she's like, "All right, well now we're gonna be delayed, right?" And then like it goes through where the guy and now they're walking and the girl's like, "Where are we gonna live?" And he's like, "I don't know. I can't go back to my place. Like, you know, my ex fiance is there." And the girl's like, "Well, I like got rid of my apartment. What are we gonna-? like?" It's a really, really so funny amazing. thing, but it is. It, it what's so perfect about it, it is it, it is that difference, right? It's like the happy t- everything tied up in a neat little bow, but then this idea of like, wait a second, there are a ton of practical things that we never thought about. And I think like just having something that suggests that the film lives beyond the borders mm-hmm. of minute, you know, one and minute whatever, 120, I think is 
it just becomes much more interesting. And as a result, you kind of get the audience to buy into it more because they're going to sort of fill out those borders on either end if you've well, done your job correctly. Absolutely. Anytime that you give the room for the audience to think beyond what they're in, they're shown, then I think that it creates a more engaging experience. If you're being told everything along the way, what's the point of making the movie? At that point, yeah, you, you could you could summarize it to two sentences. That's a really shitty story. You know, you yeah. could t- you could you can summarize any movie and you know really quickly. It's you know it, talking about your film. There's a guy who just dis- who discovers himself through fly fishing after suffering PS- PTSD. Yeah, that sucks. That's a really bad right. story. But when you get it down into it and you start diving into these moments and you allow it to breathe and to have room and you have something where um, the it's not about that. Because to me, no, this it, yes, there is a soldier at the center of the story. There is fly fishing at the center of the story. Um, that's not what this movie is about, though. And I think that right. university, the, the universal appeal of this is in the fact that we're um, we're all broken in some way and we all need mending. And it's a different times in our lives it's different things that we need and yeah i I think that this does speak to that i've never served in the military i've never i mean i've drank on a boat but i wouldn't say that ever been fishing and so so this is not a movie that on on the surface would be for me but i absolutely felt this story was something that i could relate to in really profound ways honestly well, I'm glad to hear that because I think like, you know, like you said, people hear military and fly fishing, they go, oh, I don't want to uh, like, why would I watch that? Right. But I think that it's I mean, that's just a vehicle by which we, you know, talk about this and talk about these issues, even like within, you know, the the military guys that we worked with, a lot of mm-hmm. them were definitely fly fishermen, but a lot of others were like, you know, I don't fish, but I surf yeah. and it's the same thing for me, you know, and I think that's. That's what's really interesting about this is there's people because you're you're connecting. This is not a how to fly fish movie, you know. It speaks to a deeper fundamental um, aspect of what fly fishing does, and I can go into that. But you know, I think that there's a lot of like guys have discovered a lot of other things that really helps them, and I think that's what's important. It's not that you go fly fish; it's that there is something out there for you that can be helpful as you're experiencing these, these issues, you know? And, um, and so, you know, I'm happy that people seem to pick up on that. There's a lot of people that, you know, are not fly fishermen and have never been in the military and, you know, are, are getting a lot from that. Oh, well, it's that there's that universal truth of having something that is not easy to get started with something that takes a lot of time to build up the muscle memory to actually do an activity, whatever that may be. You have to physically push yourself into new abilities to learn how to do this thing. And then once you learn how to do it, you can have this quiet when that happens, that's something that pulls you outside of yourself and you're able to just be present. And if you're able to be present in nature, outside of yourself, outside of the hum of you know, devices and all that kind of crap that fills our day. I think there's something really important about that, that we lose with every year. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, that's what it's all about. So the thing about fly fishing, for those that don't know, who's listening to this and saying their only experience is, you know, river runs through it. Sure. Um, you know, fly fishing is to, to fly fish correctly, you know, to do it right. It requires you to be completely present. Yeah. Um, you are standing in a river. You're trying to stay up, right? The current is pushing against your legs. It wants to knock you down. You're trying to cast a fly line. Like this is not like a spinning fly line where anybody can, or flinning spinning rod where anybody can really 
throw a lure out there. This is like, you know, you're trying to cast a weightless um, piece of feather and fur that's tied to a hook using a heavy line. And to do that, there's a very specific way you want to do it. And then once you are able to get the cast right and get the fly to land on the water, your drift might only be six inches long mm-hmm. before you got to pick it up and do it again. And so it's an incredibly active sport. And as a result, you have to be present to do it correctly. And what people who are experiencing PTS, the problem is, is they're stuck in a trauma loop. They're stuck in a unending, uninterruptible series of thoughts when your mind is, is just takes over and takes you back to that moment. Right. And it sort of pops up out of nowhere and all this kind of stuff. And yet fly fishing, it's what culture says. Like, well, I was out on the water. I didn't think about anything else because if you're fly fishing correctly, it's impossible to think about anything else, which is why I think it's such a interesting and valuable therapeutic exercise, right? It's not necessarily therapy, but it's therapeutic and it can allow for that peace and the interruption of that trauma loop, which then will allow for other opportunities. It's why like, you know, you'll hear vets say, you know, they went fishing and they ended up talking when like the person didn't really want to talk before the vet didn't really want to share, but suddenly you're fishing and it gets interrupted and things change and you connect with somebody and you can sit on the banks of a river and suddenly you choose to, to talk, you know? And I think that's what's, so that's what it is about fly. I mean, I'm a fly fisherman myself. I don't have any, like, you know, um, I don't experience trauma or anxiety or anything like that, but I do know that I, I can connect to it in the same way they can in just the smallest piece, right? I'm a, I'm a creative. I live in my head. I spend a lot of time, like, you know, at a desk typing, living in my, you know, trying to make things up. And the experience for me of being able to get on the water is such an escape from that because once you're on the water, that's all there is. All that there is 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 whatever the fish is that you're trying to catch in front of you. And it becomes this like pursuit and you you sort of blink and go, God, it's been eight hours. Like I haven't even checked in with my wife, you know? And, um, and so I think that's the power of fly fishing, you know, that, that, that is leading to, again, you know, this story is not based on a true story. It's not based on anyone particular, but it is a true story that is, happening over and over and over again across this country with veterans, you know, veterans groups like uh, Warriors of Quiet Waters, Project Healing Waters, you know, these, these um, even like for breast cancer survivors, like casting yeah. for recovery, like there are a lot of really great groups. And then that also extends into like working with horses or s- veterans surfing, like all these kinds of like, you know, groups that are sort of taking the place of sort of what, um, the government should be doing. And instead they're having to sort of find a way to help service veterans as they come back into, you know, as they sort of return back to society. And I mean, these types of, and while it's not direct therapy, as you said, these type of therapeutic activities though, just are so important for everybody, anybody that's dealing with anything like this, or even, you know, it, there's something innate within humans that our minds have started to turn on themselves where we have so much internal focus as opposed to just focus. We, food is plentiful in this country. It's pretty easy to get for the most part. And if you're, you know, you, most of us have four walls in this country. I know there's great numbers of people that don't, but if you have a privileged life, which most of us do, you have a lot of time to not worry about simple, basic needs. And if you have things that are pushing you to be in that moment, to be present, um, I think in the, 
evolution of humans, we, at one point in time, we had to focus on if you didn't kill this animal, your, your family wasn't going to, you know, eat for a week or whatever that was. Right. And so right. you had, there was much more important things to worry about than am I fat? Uh, does, right. what, what did it mean when my wife said this, you had real problems and now we have problems that are much more, they're real and they take up a lot of space but we don't have things outside of ourselves to focus on as readily yeah. as we did. And so, yeah, I think that these types of things that you can do, especially things that are connected to nature, just so wildly important. And I, I, I dug this man. I think you, you made something really special here. And this is uh, I'm really looking forward to this coming out because I want to hear the conversations that this inspires, that people start talking yeah. about this beyond just, you know, I mean, of course the veteran community and anybody that, you know, we'll find that truth in it, but even beyond that, that I think this is going to resonate with a much larger audience. Yeah, sir. I certainly hope so. You know, it has, has the, uh, everything going for it to do that. So, I, well, yeah. you know, we, we, we obviously that's, that's why you make a movie, right. To share it with people. And it's why we didn't make, you know, I use the, the tools of drama, right. To share this story. That's why we didn't make a documentary. Um, and I think the tools of drama, you know, and narrative can be an incredibly powerful way of connecting audiences to real world topics, you well, know, in some ways that documentaries can't. And I, I'll say this as a, you know, I know we're out of time now, but just kind of wrap things up. I watched this with oddly enough with still the Michael J Fox documentary last night and they complemented oh, okay. each other beautifully. So there oh, are, do there are know. documentaries that are playing in the same space in a lot of ways. Right. And I think that this is a very, similar theme, a similar feeling of similar message that I got at the end of these. And they played really well together. So if somebody happens to be looking for a double feature, you could definitely do, do worse yeah. than those two films with each other. He, absolutely. And just, just to clarify, I'm not in any way knocking documentaries. No, no, no. Documentaries. I didn't think that. I didn't think so. No, no, no. no, no, I, no. I'm making sure that I'm <laughs> saying that, you know, because I don't want somebody else to get the wrong impression. I think that, you know, I mean, I'm not a documentary filmmaker, so my interest in this was was telling it through a fictional narrative story. But I think like, you know, uh, my point is we did that with this film. This is a story. Right. But like there is a real world aspect to this that's going on across the country with with veterans. And I think that's that's where you get a really interesting connection between the two. Right. The notion of this sort of bigger narrative film that can sort of tell the story in the way that it needs to be told opposed to having to exist on what's being told to you. Um, but that it is about a real world topic, you know, that's happening, happening out there. So, well, yeah, no, listen, I really appreciate you taking it checking out the movie. I appreciate your support. Appreciate you having on, having me on here, you know, at, at, you know, we're an independent film, you know, and the more people yeah. we can get to see the movie and check it out in theaters, the more independent films like this will get made. And, and, you know, we just hope it really finds an audience and that people connect to it. And, um, and I don't want to say enjoy their time seeing the movie in the theater, but that they come away with it with a, you know, uh, a sense of uh, hope and a sense of positivity and a sense of a desire to connect with the world and people around them. It's um, yeah. Enjoy might not be the right word because it's not like a laugh riot or anything like that. But I think that right. it is something that it's time well spent. I'll put it that right. way at the end of it. So but congratulations on the film, man. This is a great one. I'm really Looking forward to whatever you got coming down the pike next. I know we're out of time, but uh, last final thing I'll throw in there, check out the Baxter. If you haven't seen it as far as movies outside of movies, have you seen the Michael Showalter film? I won't, but I'll put it on my list for sure. 
it's uh it's about the other guy that gets left at the altar when those two people run away oh, okay who, who, who was the guy that was left at the altar it's a movie but got it it's pretty solid so all right there you go yeah i'll check that out and, and watch after the credits you'll enjoy I, I it. have it written down i'm all over it awesome. cool man thank you right, nice thanks you. so much i appreciate it take care bye-bye time enough to figure you out time enough to write this down wish me luck give me hope